Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm super pumped for today's episode with an old friend of mine, Adrian Grenier. Adrian has uh, starred in the show many of you have, have likely seen, Entourage, as Vinny Chase. He's also a longtime environmental advocate and also has made a, a pretty profound personal transformation over the course of the last few years which we spoke at great length about as it relates to what does it truly mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a mature man? And as someone who moved from this sort of personification of the playboy um, as projected on television into uh, asking himself some deep questions and going into the shadow and doing a lot of deep inner work uh, it's profound to see him now in a committed, loving partnership living in rural Texas. And so we talk about what led him on this profound journey, what insights he garnered, and how he went about um, applying the realizations that were coming up for him in a way that led to a more embodied form of masculinity. I think you'll get a lot of value from the episode. If you enjoy it, please uh, share it with two, three friends. I think there are a lot of men that would benefit from listening to Adrian's insights. And I want to actually, before we jump into it, I wanted to challenge you guys. Many of you have reached out to me. You know, There's been various periods where I've done a, uh, a period off of alcohol, off drinking. My longest was a year and a half. But frequently I'll do 30-day uh, challenges where I'll take time off alcohol and really you know, I've done the cost-benefit analysis, and for me, the hangover is just really not worth the pleasure. But of late, I found something I would go ahead and say was remarkable, which is uh, a product that was that was gifted to me here in Austin, Texas, where I'm recording this at a health food store called Feel Free. Um, and my buddy Cal Callahan told me about it, and it's all plants, uh, kava. It's incredible. Um, I tried it. I was so into it that I reached out uh, and they gave me a case and now it's something I go to sort of every day and when I go out instead of drinking I'll bring a bottle with me and I feel this incredible euphoria as well as just an overall sort of reduction in anxiety, at least that's my experience. And it's been incredible as like my secret sauce. I've been looking for that sort of go-to alcohol replacement. And, you know, also thinking about what would it look like if we had elixir bars? Like, how can we change this culture around drinking as, as the social norm? So if you guys want to join me, hit me up at Michael Trainer on social. And uh, I reached out to Feel Free and they said that they would extend a 40% discount to my audience. So if you, if you hit, uh, and I'll, I'll link this up in the show notes, but if you hit, hit feel free and put in peak mind 40, you'll get 40% off your order. Again, that's peak mind 40. I uh, would love to have you guys join me on the journey. It's been one of the greatest up levelings uh, I've experienced and uh, happy to uh, chat more about my experience if you want to hit me up on DM. Uh, that said, it's my great pleasure to kick off and introduce Adrian Grenier. All right, I'm here uh, at a beautiful ranch in Texas with uh, my friend Adrian. Adrian, it's it's good to see you. It's great to see you. Thank you for inviting me to this beautiful place. Um, I came uh, 
you had a, a wonderful showcase, I think it was on Friday, with a bunch of musical artists for South by Southwest. And I got to uh, have my first experience with the ranch then and saw so many uh, amazing people that I love. <clears throat> so I love that you're uh, building this place for community. And I love thinking about, I don't know when we met, probably about a decade ago in New York City, thinking about the evolution of you from then and, and myself, frankly. Of us. <laughs> of us, of us. From, we are all one. We are all one. And uh, we've been on a journey. But to think about, uh, I think about some of the nights we had at, at clubs, for example, in New York City. And then I think, look out here at this, uh, this beautiful ranch. And it's quite a juxtaposition. So I'd, I'd love to start with uh, delving a little bit into... Um, and then I think through the arc of our, of our, of our narrative, we'll get to how, how you got here. But I'd love to start a little bit with, um, I think you in many ways embody, and I know you've spoken about this before, but embody what many people project to be or projected to be this personification of perfection, you know, in, in regards to, and, and I, I say this with, in quotes, but in regards to the sort of Vinny Chase, uh, here's a guy who's got it all. You know, he's obviously uh, done well for himself, um, has has achieved success and fame, and yet you consciously chose to uh, pivot from that place. And I think many uh, who haven't yet heard that that story would be curious as to what drove you in the first instance to pursue that. Um, as, as a as, as a goal and obviously you achieved it and and then once you got there how did it feel mm. uh, because by nature I'm a fool you know I have a lot of jester jester energy mm. um, I'm very playful I like to fuck with things I like to um, uh, you know uh, call, call attention to the uh, ironies and the inconsistencies and to play to be playful mm. really um, in fact I'm looking right now you, you, you can't see it but <laughs> I'm right now surrounded by a bunch of art uh, that I created and collected for um, a film that I made teenage paparazzo mm. and I think that's like the, the most um, fundamental expression of my and, and proudly, my um, willingness to take my celebrity and turn it on its head, mm. to actually pull back the curtains. It's not like that fake ass, uh, oh, I'm letting you into my life, but I put on a bunch of filters and you know, make, makeup and everything's staged. So I'll, I'll, I'll pretend like I'm letting you in so you get that personal view into my, my life, but it's really just another show. Mm. But to actually, to actually just reveal the mechanisms, the construct, which is the Hollywood game. And so, yeah, you know, I, I had achieved um, all the spoils of consumerism and capitalism. And I had been let in, you know, to, um, you, you know, the, the war, a world that was basically promoting that lifestyle and then rewarded greatly for it mm. 
And all I had to do was just keep playing the game, keep playing along. And so call me an idiot, yes, call me a fool, but I said, mm, not for me. This is not really serving my, 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 truish, my truest ambition, my truest dharma, which is, um, is, is something very much different. And so, uh, as many of us, uh, you know, have been seduced by that lifestyle and um, become our own version of Peter Pan, mm. floating high off the ground, never touching earth, never being grounded, uh, floating in a bubble. I, I decided I wanted to pop the bubble and come back down to earth and, and have real relationships and do real work and um, risk risk my own life um, my own safety to do you know to actually contribute something to my community to my family to the people I love mm. I knew you during this period in time this this Peter Pan period if you call it and I, I, I identify with it as yeah. well um, I remember you know the I J saw you in the club I, I, we, 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 we were at the club together we were at the J we, 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 we had some fun and I'm just imagining us at a cl at a club wearing Peter Pan outfits <laughs> <laughs> we did. Go, I can't remember the name of that place on the Lower East Side, but we did go tights, to. Uh, tights yeah. and like little hat. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. I feel like I definitely um, can relate in my own way to that 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 path, and also the dissatisfaction. I felt like, and I, I'm curious to know the catalyst for you. For me, I remember a friend asking me in some like as if I had found some type of a solution around dating and and I happened to be dating a, a lovely lady at the time and he was like, yeah but this and that and I realized that I was chasing in my own way the boxes right like the Victoria's Secret Angel or the X model or whatever and and what I realized in him asking me this question in his mind thinking oh okay wow you know like you mm -hmm. you got it you know me being uh actually miserable and realized that on measure I was on a good night having fun but it was in no way lined with fulfillment and that I was actually forsaking fulfillment in this relentless pursuit of the shallow ghost that was this notion of fun um, and not to you know I mean there were definitely nights that I that I remember and stories that I celebrate and and, and uh, feel that it was all part of the journey, right? It's not like, oh, okay, that was the dark night of the soul and now I'm enlightened by any means. But I do feel like I had my own reckoning around realizing that wasn't it uh, in whatever vision of that itness was for me. And yet, I don't feel many people will have touched the projected version of embodiment of that reality to the degree that you did. I mean, literally in the character that you played, right, which was, I think, in the personification of the masculine as it's portrayed culturally, uh, is the the sort of the apex of, of, of the high of the mountain. But also, I you know, I think it also in, in your life as it relates to achieving a material success, um, the adoration and attraction of women, as it relates to access to exclusive rooms, all these things, which I think are, are the, the penultimate of what many people chase their whole lives. Um, 
only to realize at the end mm -hmm. that that wasn't it. To actually know someone who who had it and consciously let it go, I think is is really is not not to make it out to be some some you know uh, you know like enlightened act, but I would say to me at least, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful testimony to the fact that that wasn't it one and two knowing it which many people still continue throughout their whole life i would say having lived in la for eight years uh, many uh people who have fallen from grace and are still chasing that that mm -hmm. hungry ghost but for you to consciously whilst also like it wasn't like you had a fall from grace at least that anyone of us witnessed or maybe you did mm -hmm. uh, no public fall from grace no like uh you know you're forced out of it you actually chose out of it what was the catalyst if i can ask or reckoning moment or awakening when if there was a particular moment when you realized okay i've got it and it ain't it yeah well um i think the truth is you know uh, that you never really have it hmm. you know you, you never there uh, life is in motion it's direction and constant change and you think that you're going to get to this place where then you have now made it but that's a fallacy mm. right so um and i don't know if i recognized that at the time but there was a gnawing dread somewhere inside of me where i was i was like things are just way too good mm. there's got to be something more why why do i have no pain why do i have no suffering why why is my life blessed and i look around and like people are you know having hard times mm -hmm. and i'm thinking well maybe karmically i did something that now i'm getting rewarded for in this life i don't know like i couldn't but yet i didn't believe that like there's something i was like something's something's fishy something doesn't smell right and it, it's not until i did a bunch of work for many years that i could now re in retrospect go back and understand where I was and put the pieces together and then you know um, you know start to interpret you know where, where I was but when, when I was in it I was just in it um, e even even with the paparazzi the paparazzi were like that glitch in the matrix mm. right uh, you know I was achieving all of this external success and fame and wealth and then now the paparazzi are taking my picture and I'm like me like do they know me like i i never really made the connection between my identity and the person who was achieving all of these things because i'm still just me right i hadn't changed fundamentally mm -hmm. i had just gotten apart that's it um i hadn't uh, accomplished anything great i hadn't made any fantastic contributions um so it 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 struck me as being strange mm. and off. Like, what was that all about? And then uh, this little 13-year-old boy came up to me. And as many you know, young kids would, or even adults, <laughs> big kids, wanted to take a picture. He asked me, he's like, can I take a picture? I said, of course. And usually, they'll come up next to you and you'll take a selfie. But this kid just flashed me with a bunch of photographs from a professional paparazzo camera um, what they call sprayed me right and I was like what the what what was that and he, he looked at me and he says paparazzi dude 
He's a 13-year-old kid. And that he was the black cat. He was that, you know, in the Matrix. He was mm. that glitch where I'm like, what is that? What was that? Like where and it started to reveal a construct and a um you know the the, uh, the matrix of that world to me you know and I, so i started picking at that thread and i ended up getting his phone number and made a documentary about him and through his eyes through our relationship i started to you know pull apart and deconstruct the mechanism of celebrity and paparazzi and the whole you know superficial projection of you know all the stories in the worlds that you know tell us as people as citizens as humanity who we think we are mm. the aspirational aspects and then the fear-based you know all all of the the things and that through that film i pulled back the curtain to my own celebrity and i showed i revealed that there was really nothing there mm. there was no it Right, and so that that movie, and I'm, I, you know, just <laughs> surrounded by the pictures because I just actually just got them out of storage, um, and then this photo right here is me hanging out with Paris Hilton, basically putting on a show for all the paparazzi, so that they could tell the story of our relationship, which they knew nothing about, but they made it up certainly, mm -hmm. and so I was just, you know, a, a f just a tool for storytelling and I wanted to tell my own stories I was making my own goddamn documentary and all of it was just smoke and mirrors and and it and it and it, and it betrayed what I started making films for in the first place which was deep art you know challenging the minds of the audience so that they could reflect on themselves the plays the thing this is like Hamlet level creation and here I am a tool, a toy, a toy boy, <laughs> a playboy with Paris Hilton playing that figure, not only on the show Entourage, but also in real life. Hmm. Because what better person to play that role than the guy who's playing that role already? And totally. so all the tabloids would just tell that same story over and over again. It would sell magazines and I'd get another paycheck. Hmm. And so... I started to realize on just a very deep, innate, instinctive, biological level, started to make the connections like, oh, play this part, get rewarded, hmm. get paychecks, uh, get dopamine hit, hits when all the boys say, oh, you're the man. Oh, and now you're accepted by all the guys that you never had growing up because your father left you and you know you didn't have a siblings and so now you're now you're part of something now you have place in the world and all the girls they're like ooh who's that oh he's famous and cute and like all the things so now ooh now I feel good because I'm getting the attention that I wanted just on a biological level and mm. uh, all of the I didn't have to work for it right I didn't have to actually develop myself and you know actually go up and say something smart or interesting or curious it was just given to me so yeah of course I want more of that double down on that please and I did get lost in that for some time despite the fact that I made a documentary and revealed everything 
you know, it didn't matter. I mean, nobody watches documentaries anyway, so it didn't, it wasn't <laughs> a big bombshell necessarily. Um, and just kept trucking along until, until I finally had to truly come down to earth. Yeah. And that was, um, you know, several years ago when uh, I had a breakup and the love of my life left me. And, and I, you know, I didn't understand why. She said, because you're, you're a piece of shit. I mean, you're, you're a terrible human. And, you know, obviously she was mad, so she was using harsh words. But I literally thought I was the man, the best, you know. I, I was the penultimate. Mm -hmm. I'd achieved it all. How could you leave me? Like, it's just like ridiculous because I'm everything anybody could fucking want. And I am anybody that anybody would want to be. And you're going to leave me. But that's the beauty of women mm. is women, they want more from you. They want the, they want the best from you. And they will poke you until they get it. Mm. And they will challenge you until you show up authentically and, and um, commit yourself to that relationship. But, you know, I wasn't. Mm. So as many people told me I was amazing, it, it, it took a woman to, to really reveal myself to myself. And, and, and I, looking in the mirror, I realized I was lacking in many, many uh, you know, deep fundamental spiritual ways, hmm. and uh, so I started to do the the very typical thing, which you know all gurus and you know wise people from times of yore will do, which is shed and let go of all the earthly possessions and all the accomplishments and all the external projections of who you think you are and the ego and all that. Go into the fucking earth, get small, and start to humble yourself and get to know like a, a, a deeper, more fundamental aspect of who you are or who you aren't, so that you can then start to rebuild from a more uh, elevated, enlightened, I don't know, mature, hmm. mature perspective. And that's what I did. It took me a long time. It hurt like a motherfucker. And, uh, and, and it brought me here, mm. it brought me here to a completely different lifestyle from, from fuck boy to farmer. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard you say that, but I like it. It, it resonates. What, what about what she shared with you? If I, if I'm not mistaken, there was like a list of qualities that were <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the blind spots. Yeah. How did that, what about that in particularly, I mean, obviously there's a reckoning in terms of if you're in your own mind are the bee's knees and someone walks away from that, you're like, how's that even possible? But was there anything that she said in particular that, that, that really landed? Like, I feel like, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but I feel like with men's work, one of the things that I love, and I think unfortunately our society doesn't have enough of is this notion of feedback and actually getting real and authentic feedback and that being actually an indication of someone truly being your friend and truly having your back you know i feel like there's so many relationships that are more surface level but if someone actually has the courage because they love you enough to tell you the truth about their experience of you mm -hmm. that's actually a gift now whether you mm -hmm. choose to open that mm -hmm. gift 
is another thing, but you actually chose to open it in spite of what the cost was. And the cost for you was quite significant. It was letting go of all the things that you had accumulated that society celebrated. Yeah, and, and in allowing yourself to suffer. Mm. To, I mean, there are, there's nothing more compelling to a human being than you know, uh, the avoidance of pain. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's like you construct a whole life so that you don't have to feel. Yeah, but then you, you, you then you're not then you don't exist. You're mm. just numb and not present. Not you know, there's so much wisdom. Like, I, I learned to cultivate my intuition through my my suffering, through my pain, through tapping into collective discomfort, because that's the the language of. I mean, I think on some level that's that's what karma is. Mm. Karma is a constant communication and exchange of information. You know, when it fe- when it's feeling right, I think it's probably the, you're you're in the right direction. Mm. When it doesn't feel right, you might want to re- rethink it um, on some level. And then, of course, you bring in the higher thinking, and you can make a judgment, and then uh, be sure or override you know if if you make that decision but if you're not in your body feeling mm. i don't believe you can actually experience truth mm. if you're only in your head because our heads are an abstract interpretation they're once removed from reality interpreting it from a distance which serves an important role but it's not the thing it's not the truth it's not so if you're not in your body if you're not feeling and i wasn't i didn't mm-hmm. i was not connected to my heart not connected to my in- intuition my gut i was all head and cock mm-hmm. like i i contemplated and pontificated and intellectualized everything so that i could fuck and that, that was the only part that i could feel mm. was that pleasure of you know car- the carnal pleasure of um sex mm-hmm but that the intimacy of heart and that intuition of gut and you know that that grounded connection to earth and mother and family and all of that was offline for the greater part of my adult life and um so in order to get back online i had to pass through all of that pain and suffering that was you know keeping you know making me avoidant in the first place mm. so yeah, she, Jordan, gave me a gift, and it was truth. Mm. And um, and I knew, I was I was at that age, man. I was, like, way too old anyway. I was, like, I, I kept seeing myself embodied in people really old, like, mm. gray hair, wrinkles, hanging out with, you know, uh, models and bottles and planes, and I was like, oh my God, that's like, I'm, that's me from the future coming back to fucking show me what is in store for me. And so I had to get right by myself. Mm. And, um, and, it, and, it, and it was through the pain, through the, the suffering, through allowing myself to um, come undone and, and shed all of the stuff that made me feel safe mm. and all the, the stuff that gave me ego boost and dopamine hits and it's pretty I think it's 
pretty common, right? People mm-hmm. go through this stuff when they get to a certain age called midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yes, they do, but many people just go buy a car, you know? Uh, they go buy the Porsche and they, and, they, and, they, and they bypass it. And what you're talking about to me is, um, is the tough work of embodiment and getting into and, and, th- and you only get th- to that through the shadow, I feel mm-hmm. like. You only touch that when you're willing to look in the darkness of, of yourself. And I feel like many people, especially in this day and age, and by the way, I'm, I, I've done it myself, but they bypass, you know, they spiritually bypass, you know, they put on the clothes and they talk the talk, but they haven't actually walked through the process of individuation that is that confrontation of the dark and the pain and the trauma and the wounds that many of us have but that are so i feel like uncomfortable to look at you know i think of my own experience which i didn't get i never got a a list and i don't know if i've ever shared this but i moved across the country to be with a partner and she cheated on me two weeks into moving our both of our apartments first woman i'd ever lived with um right after the dust had settled of me moving all of our stuff across the country and i left behind like you know in my own world a great you know all, all the things great job great community you know my art had a, i had a gallery like all the things sacrificed it moved across to a, the country to be with this woman who i'd you know put everything into because i knew no one there and two weeks in she cheated on me she didn't come home for two nights and i wound up dealing with that in all the ways that uh one does which was for me drinking a lot of alcohol uh smoking a lot of weed and i just remember looking under my sink at where i put the recycling and literally beer bottles were falling out and i was just trying to numb myself and it was actually in that moment um, that i got a call from my dad and his he had gone through something in the 80s called the mankind project and he and his group got together and they actually sponsored me to go through what was called at that time the new warrior training but basically uh men getting together to to hold each other in the in the fire of the shit you know which is exactly what you just talked about and i want to talk i want to delve deeply more deeply into this because it's i think a, a topic of of shared interest and shared passion i remember last we spoke at julina i think we started at lunch and ended at dinner talking a lot about about men's work but for me actually one of the reasons why and my father recently passed but one of the reasons why i had developed a relationship with him that i did when i had the time with him was in my dark night of the soul and that was a pretty dark period in my life. He actually flew. So there were 150 men that went through this training. And he was the only father there. And you had to pay. You actually had to pay to volunteer. Like you don't just be of service. You actually pay. And it, it requires a, a significant contrib- commitment. But he had flown out to actually show up. And basically shepherded me through a ritual rebirth. Uh, where I confronted probably the biggest trauma of my life from childhood. And I bring that up to, to say that from that moment, of course, that was a huge catharsis. And it was, it was the, one of the first instances in which I feel like someone really had my back. You know? And I think in life, they say, actually, 
for quote unquote at risk youth, like the single greatest corollary to their success is, is just having one figure in their life, whether a relative or, or a friend who has their back, who truly will show up for them. But that just made me very emotional. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, he I hesitate to share that because I know, for example, I mean, we're all different, but I know that that, that aspect of my story is unusual. You know, and I know, for example, with, with what you've shared in regards to your father being largely absent, you know, I, I hesitate to share that because I don't want to be like, oh, okay. It's just to say, you know, I've had I had many people who weren't there for me who didn't show up, but that one figure was pivotal because from that that day, I actually did work for the next four years, where every week I would get together with what was called my integration group. I would get together with five guys, all strangers obviously after four years not strangers at all but where we volunteered and we committed each week like it was sacred like it was church to get together and to sit in the fire exactly as you described and hold each other to account to walk through all the bullshit that we had built up in whatever our 30 at that time for me 30 years of life uh, and and call each other out on where kind of as, as Jordan did for you on where we weren't showing up or where we you know continued to bypass and I can say for me and obviously I'm happy to go deeper into this but I want this to be about you but for me I share that to say I felt like and it's work that continues but that container of that that group of men was everything like started off as strangers and i think that's the thing that's it, it can be accessible obviously you know i think it, it there's diff, there's differences in the quality of containers but we were everyday guys you know and we we had we had a a collective mythology we had a container in the context of this particular group where we would move through the archetypes of the mature masculine we would go king warrior magician lover and and there was a there was a structure to it but in but in essence we weren't trained highly trained professionals we just had each other's back yeah. And the, the, the true healing in a group of men having your back in this age where we don't have that kind of process of individuation, where we don't have these rites of passage, I think cannot be underestimated. Mm -hmm. And I know you are now a catalyst or you went through this, your own dark night of the soul. I would love to hear for you, because I think many people are afraid to delve into that pain. And I know you and I have talked about, for example, you did a period of abstinence. You did a variety of different things that are not uh, easy. Mm -hmm. You walk through the fire. What, what did that journey, to the degree that you're willing to share, what did that journey look like for you? Yeah, well, one thing that comes up for me is the difference between a men's group and, uh, a, and a group of the Lost Boys, like the Lost Boys... Um, of Peter Pan, right? Because mm. um, you know I've had guy friends, and you know we've been a group, and we've had each other's back, but in a different way. You know we've been, we've had each other's back to indulge each other in our worst behavior, right? Mm. Um, and I I noticed like in order to to first start. Um, on this journey, I had to start shedding a lot of things, including my friend group. Hmm. I had to start recognizing that there were friends that didn't actually have my best interests at heart. And frankly, I didn't necessarily have their best interests at heart. Uh, it wasn't our fault. It's just, you know, we didn't have anybody who was 
a mature masculine, mm. an adult figure, to bring us through that rite of passage to teach us what that looks like. And that's an epidemic culture-wide mm -hmm. because fathers have been marginalized either f f for their like by by their own doing or uh, you know systemically for some reason or modern feminists have marginalized them because they don't trust them in the first place so they just say we got this mm -hmm. uh, and that happened with my mother my mother raised me uh, quite purposefully on her own uh, finding a man who was weak I mean on some level so that she could keep him at bay and mm -hmm. take over because she had an in, uh, an in, um, a conditioned mistrust for men, the masculine so right now culture-wide we are in a, an awakening I believe mm -hmm. and 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 I'm just talking from the, the, the men's perspective where we have an opportunity to now uh, guide each other through those rites of passages I mean we're adult men now so who better to do it than us? But we have to learn as we go, and then we get as we learn, we can share that wisdom and guide others. So the fact that your father did that work and then brought you through that, and um, you know, I'm sure you have people who now you are, you got their back in that mm -hmm. mature way. And now that I've gone through it to a, you know enough of a degree that now when I hang out with people. And they want to, you know, go party or go do something that is from the old mentality. My instinct is to say, hey, man, have you heard of men's work? Hmm. Like, I would love to introduce you to or share with you because I see that they, on a very real level, are craving something more. Uh, so for me, it, like the, my, I, I mean, I'm in two men's groups. <laughs> can't get enough um, <laughs> has been invaluable to my growth as a man and and it's and it's a two-way street right uh, in order to feel safe like you need someone to have your back mm -hmm. but then you have to recognize that you are needed you have to give of yourself to have their back yeah. Which means you have to show up and be present and go to those weekly meetings. Even if you'd rather, you know, there's like something fun that you have to skip. Um, and that, that teaches a discipline and a commitment that the immature masculine doesn't understand. Mm. Um, and when you make that commitment and when that commitment is made back to you, you have a sense of belonging and place that um, is is really what brings us closer to our connection to everything, right? Our, our interconnectedness, mm. where we're now part of something that we have something to to live for, to fight for, to work for, to give ourselves towards, and that's what family is. That's what community is. That's what love is. And all these things start to build on themselves. And um, so it's not just men's group in the abstract where you learn as an individual consumer to get the thing which now you can have for your own self and you've accomplished yet another um, aspirational ride in a capitalist consumerist culture. No, it's you are literally bonding yourself with 
others, with the world, with nature, with with source. Mm. Um, and and uh, and that cures the this the, the the conditioned sense of separation that we think we somehow um, that we've sort of adopted and embraced in, in our modern culture. You know, for good reason. Like we did it for a reason in our evolution, but. I think now it's time to come back to together, come back in harmony with one another and the earth. And that's why we call this ranch Kintsugi. Mm. Kintsugi is the, the, the Japanese practice of bringing things back together and mending them with gold and making it beautiful again and making it resilient. You know, you, you can't be, I, I don't believe, like you can't build resilience unless you've already been broken. Mm. Right? Now you know what broken is and you, you start to bring the pieces together. Now you have the wisdom of being broken. And then now you're back together and y you can never be broken again because you've already been broken. Hmm. Um, so yeah, men's work for me is a process of being brought back together. Hmm. You, you evoked in me also a, a motion. And I was thinking about during that dark night of the soul, I also did a, a, some beautiful work with a gentleman by the name of Martin Prechtel, who wrote a book called Secrets of the Talking Jaguar. But he worked a lot, with, for example, with veterans and people that had been through um, profound dark nights of the soul. But he said to me two things that have forever resonated. And, and one I'm thinking about as you talked about um, the ranch and this notion of, of, of the beauty that can come from putting the pieces back together. And he said, one was, pain is the horse that beauty rides. And I was in a very particular moment of pain where I was choosing not to numb and actually do the work. And I horses have actually always been therapeutic for me during, during my- Can you repeat it? He Can said, you repeat it? He said that pain is the horse that beauty rides. <laughs> and- That's a great image. I love that because actually I found equine therapy, and obviously this has been also shown in, in society as well. I mean, prisoners, one of the greatest tools for rehabilitation is this I'm equine therapy. I'm listening, yeah, please. Down, and then the second thing that he told me, which is particularly poignant in this, in this beautiful farm that you've created where you actually uh, can work and embody this, but he said that shit when properly treated becomes the spiritual compost for true growth, right? Like it's actually the shit, it's the cracks, it's the breaking that actually is the cauldron, right? That we, that mm. enables us to, to transmute if we truly do the work, the shittiest experiences in life, the traumas into the gold, into that which is our gift, mm -hmm. <clears throat> into that which is our Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me into the like the permaculture land analogies because we'll go. All oh, God. No, I love it. I I did. I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but I did the Bill Mollison. Like I I know you've done your certification, and obviously you're applying it literally with this farm. Um, but closed loop systems, the whole notion to me of of permaculture, and also just um, and this this was just delving deeply into some of the indigenous traditions, and and I think. What comes up for me and what you share is all, many of us culturally chase the ecstasies, right? We, we, we chase the ecstasy um, and, and that, could be, that can be beautiful, but the work, which I think speaks to also the farm analogy, which speaks to what Martine was sharing, which speaks to this, this notion, I think, 
of, of like this Japanese culture, right? The samurai wasn't just an expert swordsman. The, the samurai was about committing yourself to excellence in each moment, right? It was about how do you approach the garden? How do you approach the preparation of tea? How do you approach calligraphy? How does one step into that side? And to me, that's the mundane. That's the, that's the integration, right? Like the group that we're talking about, these men's groups, these are integration groups. It's not, it's not the sexiness of the like amazing exalted experience on the weekend. It's the, the, the mundane work of, of, of refining our day-to-day lives and living. And I think that, um, it's super beautiful that you share that because I think so many of us, um, identify with the pieces but we don't necessarily see that those pieces can become that beautiful vessel when filled with the, that gold, if you will, um, of, yeah. of how we approach it. How has, how has being on the farm, not just being on the farm, but being a source, right? Like I know one of the things you talk about, which I love is this notion of personal responsibility. I've known you, for example, as an environmentalist, an environmental advocate, for 10 plus years um but there's something and i'm not in any way diminishing those efforts right i mean i think you, you travel even a global citizen you were traveling through africa you you did obviously lonely whale um but it's something different when you're doing these initiatives you know in brooklyn versus okay i'm gonna go ahead and buy 42 acres of farm and actually like you know get my hands dirty and also be a catalyst for community. Like, it's not like you're like, okay, city on the hill, like I'm just gonna do my thing out here. Like you're literally inviting people in. Like when I texted you, first thing you said was like, come on out and get your hands dirty. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it, it's an invitation into into um, the field, so to speak, mm-hmm. literally and metaphorically. Mm-hmm. What, what has been some of the ways in which, you know, doing the work that you're doing with either the men's work, doing the work on the farm. What do you, I'll ask it this way. A friend of mine asked me a question, which was very powerful at the time. And it was, what's the one thing that if you took it away from your life and the one thing that you added to your life would have the most transformative impact? And I'll say that again. So what's the one thing if you took away, like if you reduced, and one thing if you added, it would it have the most profound impact. And for me, the answer was if I took out alcohol, um, mm-hmm. just simply because alcohol was associated with a lot of these moments and friendships that were not really true friendships, but more chasing the, 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 the fun experiences around the world, being on that circuit, which I, you know, uh, I recognized I was on that circuit, you know see you at Sundance, then I'm in Tulum, then I'm in the, you know, and I'm, I was following that circuit, but I was running away. I was chasing that ecstasies rather than mm-hmm. the integration. And then the one thing that I would add, which you've been able to do, I, I have yet to be able to hold, is a committed loving relationship. Mm-hmm. So if I re- if I took out alcohol and I added the committed loving relationship, not to say, by the way, oh, I've arrived. It's just to say that was my answer of like, yeah. okay, I would be living a very different life. Now, you, it seems to me in some ways you've, you're in that process or, you're, you know, but, but what would be the equivalent for you? Have you, have you ascertained like, I mean, it sounds like letting go of some of the, the earlier friendships, but 
Is there a particular lever that would be helpful for others listening that was like, okay, I let that go and I embrace this? No. Okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a UN Environment Ambassador. I've started uh, nonprofits, Lonely Well, Mobile Kitchen Classroom. I've done a lot of charity work and philanthropy around the world and all the things, right? So check, 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 check. Okay. Good job, buddy. You're a good person. Mm -hmm. And yet, after having done all this development work and awakening to myself, in truth, I realize, no, I have actually created probably an equal amount of destructiveness in the world. Mm -hmm. And and I wasn't responsible a responsible person I wasn't being responsible and I don't know what the calculation is I mean maybe I was 51% good mostly good but you know partly I, I don't know what that cal how do you make that calculation and the revelation that I had was uh, we go around telling ourselves that we're a good person right or then we shame ourselves and flog ourselves uh, because we did something bad so we have shame right um, Yet, that's all a judgment in the past or in the future. But every moment, I believe, every single moment, you have the same choice to do something f for good or, or to, to be selfish and ignorant and destructive. Mm. In every moment, it's a new choice. You can never make that calculation like, well, I've done you know X number of good things, so therefore I am a static good person and I can say I'm a good person. But yet we think we, like we do that all the time. We allow ourselves to get away with so much because we have the ego identity of having been or doing good, being a good person. And it takes the choice away from us. Mm. It, 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 it absolves, us, absolves us of the responsibility to have to make that choice in every moment so therefore I could do a, a million bad things but I have the sense of being a good person because I've I've done in, any number of good things out in the world or I started the organization or whatever so it gives me permission to uh, you know to write off all of that destructiveness so in, in order to have that revelation I had to pass through a reckoning about what it means to truly take responsibility to be truly uh, responsible for my decisions mm. and that means that I could be sovereign and uh, independent in what I choose and in order to do that it means no one else can be coercing me or I can't be following a script of who I think I am I have to be making those decisions in real time at all times and in order to make those the right decisions whatever the right decision is in my mind or in my in my spirit is by seeing the world accurately seeing it as it is seeing truthfully what's what is and so in order to do that I had to really get in touch with truth and shed all of the delusions and illusions and projections that I was putting onto the world I'm a good person or this is what the world needs to do in order to clean it up you know looking outside telling everyone else Let's legislate or, uh, you know, create, uh, you know, uh, bodies that would 
you know, governmental bodies that would go change the world or systems that would clean up the world out there. And I wasn't looking at myself and it all starts with self mm. because every decision I was making was clouded or was corrupted by my belief in my own piety without recognizing that I was taking a fucking huge ass shit on everything I <laughs> built and created because I wasn't in charge of myself because I wasn't making those choices. I wasn't honest with myself. Mm. So um, for me right now, personal responsibility, sovereignty is huge. And it's not just like, don't tell me what to do. I do what I want. It's like, no, if you want to do what's right, if you want to be in charge, if you want to be able to protect yourself and your family, you, you need to be in charge and be responsible for those choices. And in, the only way you can be responsible is if you're honest with yourself and if you're telling yourself the truth. And that's hard. That's the hard part because it means you have to take a hard look at what is and, um, and not um, defer responsibility to any government body, any organization, any recycling system, the UN, you know, mm -hmm. any of it. You in every moment need to take responsibility. And only then, only once you are truly a master of yourself, can you then go out and try and tell anyone else what to do and, and, and try and dictate or legislate. And that's some king energy. Like when you become that, mm -hmm. that king of your, of your world, then maybe you can expand that outward. But be very careful uh, that, that you don't start to I mean, not, not, I mean, God bless her, Greta Thunberg, Thunberg mm -hmm. like, it, it breaks my heart when I see her because I see the amount of pain she's in. Mm. So I have a tremendous amount of compassion. But what I see is a, a, an immature being that is wagging their finger and telling everyone else how to be. And I, and I see myself at that age when I was aggressively trying to change the world in my image, the way I thought the world should act, and I didn't know myself at all, and I didn't realize that I was actually contributing, um, you know, that I wasn't, I, that, I, that I was not being honest and taking responsibility for what I was doing. Mm. Um, and I think we're in that, that epidemic of ego right now where you look at environmentalism, and, and, I, and I was tiptoeing around saying this because, because you know people see me as an environmentalist, and I like the way, the way it feels when people think I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I hesitate to, to pop that bubble, but I see so much um, arrogance mm. and elitism in modern environmental mentalities and at a certain point I realized I I can't in in good conscience be that person anymore soapboxing mm. I need to go out here and, and see what it's like to do it myself to actually chop wood and carry water yes and build it and be it and take care of myself and my little small patch of land here and I'll tell you the wisdom that I have gained from doing it and the respect I have now 
for all the people that I shamed and blamed for using chemical fertilizers and pesticides and all the things because they're ruining the planet and we just need to legislate them. No, 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 no. There are real reasons why those uh, highly destructive systems are in place. And it's not because they're bad people. It's not because they're not as good as me or as righteous as me. It's because people like me have gone on way too long not taking responsibility and putting it off on someone else to actually go build the systems that will heal the planet and create the, the, the farming techniques that are viable in the face of economic challenges and realities and true um, nature-based challenges. And now I have the, that, that first-hand experience that this shit ain't easy. Mm. Real <laughs> and, talk. <laughs> and so I have now the luxury to be a laboratory for what's possible. And, I, and I'm taking my privilege to try things and fail and try things and fail. Because farmers out there who aren't making that much money anyway can't afford to take the risk to do the in you know organic right thing or the, the you know environmentally sound thing hmm. necessarily i mean there's big corporations and you know they're doing their thing but it's all part of a, a a system that has grown on the substrate of dysfunction that we've all been contributing to as individuals and until we as individuals stop it's going to continue. So I'm not looking to change the system at large. I'm just looking to change myself in every moment by making that honest decision to take responsibility for what I know to be right in that moment and continuing to re-engage with truth in every moment and then get out there and chop wood, carry water. Mm. That's it. So... Adrian Grenier, the environmentalist, is no longer. He's left the building. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's out back in the, in the alleyway hanging out with Vincent Chase. Uh-huh. And I'm here now, you know, just fucking on my knees, just totally, absolutely humbled to just do this work. And I wept in the field the other day. I wept hmm. uh, at the at the privilege and the opportunity that I have to steward this land to the best of my ability knowing that I'm utterly without n- knowing if I'm doing it right humbled by my ignorance and just an apprentice a humble apprentice just fucking doing my best and you know what I'm a lot better than I was yesterday and yep. last year man I was a fucking a mess so <laughs> I'm feeling really good right now but still man so much to learn there's so much was I just preaching Dang. you just preached man <laughs> you just preached and it it was beautiful. Uh, and what was beautiful about it, it evoked so many things in me. One story I want to share with you, which I've shared with very few people. And it, it, to me, it speaks to the ultimate stewards of the land, which is the indigenous people uh, around the world that, that have, without claiming to be environmentalists or anything else, just uh, in large measure, um, uh, been a stand for the seven generations and beyond that will precede them. But there was a gentleman I met a couple of years back named Jerry. And what I loved about Jerry... Jerry's an indigenous guy. He is, a DNA <laughs> man. I lo- and I love that his name is Jerry. <laughs> I love that his name is Jerry. Yeah. And by the way, t-shirt, trucker hat. 
right? right. No feathers, no, right. it, there was no adornments about Jerry. Now, here's the beauty of Jerry. And I shared, I treated him to his first acai bowl because we were in a gathering actually of, of indigenous elders. And we just cracked, he cracked me up, man. He would just crack jokes. It was none of the, it was none of the storybook version of what a medicine man looks like or feels like. But then I sat in sweat with Jerry and the degree to which he was wise. And when I say wise, he was two things that I look for, humble and in service. He was just good morning relatives and he would share a story and I don't know if you've ever seen this film if you haven't I highly recommend it called the straight story but as you live on the farm uh, it's a, a true story of a man who has been estranged from his brother and he finds out he has cancer and he literally drives a tractor from Iowa to Michigan I think it's over a thousand miles he drives up because that's all he had a tractor to make amends with his brother and along the way, and he's an elder man, he's probably 80. Along the way, he shares stories with all these different my God, characters. Just the stories making me emotional. I <laughs> hope so. Dude, I, I, it's, that's my gift to you. We got, we got to watch, you got to watch the straight story. Me, yeah, like. We are, we are. That's okay. We're, we're, we're evolving with age, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, but Jerry reminded me of this gentleman from the straight story. Because what he would do was he would share a story. But in the sharing of the story, what people, I think, forget is he's in the listening like he's deeply in the listening he's looking at all the people around that fire and he's looking at their body language he's looking at their words he's looking at the words behind the words and in the story he's providing a place where they can find their own truth he's not tony robbins for 1099 i will give you the five keys to you know he's there's no there's no proselytizing there's no i've figured it out i've got the answer there's no there's no guru in him uh, but he's sharing a story that everyone can be warmed by. You know, he's sharing a story where everyone can find their own truth. And I had the opportunity then after to sit actually in ceremony with him. And I did work all night. Um, actually, I'll share transparently, I uh, sat peyote with him. He's a road man. And it was with a gathering of indigenous elders. So elders from North America, elders from South America. And in the morning, he takes his rattle and I and I describe it like imagine you're driving on a bus with Aretha Franklin you would have no idea what you were sitting who you were sitting next to unless she sang right Jerry was Aretha Franklin Jerry in the Aretha morning Franklin of the dreidel <laughs> exactly of the dreidel I have never in my life it was like I'll use another film analogy but there's a moment in A River Runs Through It where 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 the character who's playing Brad Pitt's brother, I can't remember who that was, witnesses him casting a fishing rod in such a way that the, 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 the fly lives above the water. And it was his manifestation of his own art, right? No one was supposed to be witnessing it. It was just him and his music. And Jerry, in that morning, was like, good morning, relatives. And he took this dreidel, took this, no, what was it? A rattle, rattle. <laughs> he took a rattle. And he, a dreidel, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, dreidel. It was not a dreidel, it was a rattle. And he moved it in such a way that it's hard to describe, but it was like a key unlocked the door within me. It was like, hmm. and the way that he sang his song, and that's why I say he was like the Aretha Franklin, 
the way he sang his song was the way he tended to his fire. And it was in service to everyone else warming themselves mm. by his fire. Mm. It, it was nothing about him in it. Right. It was not about him at all. And why that was evocative for me is because I think, you know, we started with this sort of egocentric, capitalistic, you know, American dream version of, of, of this projected perfection or reality. Then we go into the altruistic version of that, the environmentalist, mm -hmm. you know. The, the egalitarian. The egalitarian, exactly. Yeah. All of that, there's still elements and I, by the way, identify with it profoundly, um, mm. working for many years to try to build a movement around ending extreme poverty and then yeah. changing directions and going um, really- not, not unto itself, you know, bad, just- No, 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 no. And, and in many ways- We're Adding layers to that in impulse. Correct. And, you know, this is not about me, I'm, I, but obviously there's nuance. And one of the things I love about the way you talk about environmental work, right, is I think we live in a culture now where people think see things so often as binary, right? Like that's the good guys, that's the bad guys, mm. right? Especially in the context of environment and externalities, right? Like even if you're trying to do something good, there's probably costs still to it, you know? Like whether that be you flying somewhere or the ingredients that come in something, that doesn't mean necessarily it's, it's good or bad. It's just to say, you know, the world kind of exists in these nuanced mm. shades of gray, you know? And what I, what I resonate with is this, this idea of how we move into a place where we can become the fire by which other people warn themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know how we get there or if we ever get there, but I think farming and, and, and the way that you talked about being on the farm and the imperfection of it and mm -hmm. the humility of it mm -hmm. and the fact that it evoked you to such a degree that you were in tears, to me speaks to that notion of the beauty of that 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 humility like that the, the gift that is when we humble ourselves you know mm -hmm. and 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 the gift that comes when when we are in the listening truly to like what wants to be what wants to move through us you know my greatest pains have been when i've tried to hold on to something that is no longer mine you know, mm -hmm. um, I know you had shared, for example, when you when you had this break with Jordan, the degree to which you had to humble yourself and move through the fire and 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 take on aspects of yourself you had previously it sounded like never even touched. But it was that it was that level of beingness mm -hmm. that also led to your 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 return. Um, I uh, to the degree that you want to share. And, and not to move it away, but I think to me it's sort of, it's, it's, well, I'll be honest, as someone who hasn't yet called in my person, as mm -hmm. someone who hasn't yet, for whatever reason, embodied that, that aspect that is the calling forward of, of, of my person that I get to dance She's with. She's a little clumsy, by the way, so you might want to just be careful. Oh, okay, no worries. For those listening, we have an incredibly beautiful dog that has come and, and reminded us of, uh, of how nice it is to have a dog by us. <laughs> um, but what, in whether it be in your, the degree to which you were able to step into yourself to be the person that could attract the love of your life, or maybe you prefer to talk about the context of who you get to be as it relates mm -hmm. to this farm. But 
But the essence of what I'm trying to get at is what are the qualities of your beingness that you're really refining, right? That iron sharpening iron in the context of the men's work or putting your hands in the dirt as it relates to the fields or probably some of the hard conversations that happen when you're in relationship, right? Like what are the things that are, that you're finding to be the fertilizer for your growth currently? I mean, it's still more of sort of the same thing that we've been talking about, you know, being honest, mm. truth is a, is a cornerstone principle, uh, and taking personal responsibility, 100% personal responsibility. Uh, it's so easy to want to blame your partner because they're not this or not they're not doing that, or um, if they would only just, then I could be, you know, oh, they, you know, they made me feel this way or they made me do this. Um, and, you know, that's the, that's the same... Um, you know, sort of outsourcing responsibility or deferring your own, um, you know, sovereignty to the other, mm. as opposed to recognizing that only I can change myself or, or I can only be responsible for myself. So in every moment, like, how am I contributing to what's happening? How do I continue to show up so that I can be in, of service to my partner? How do I show up 100%, like, give of all myself to this relationship? And mm-hmm. that is what commitment is. I never understood commitment. Like, why would you commit? Like, it's, it's disappointing and um, it's not as fun because you don't get to, t- you know, just bounce from one uh, indulgence to another without having to take responsibility. Uh, you know, but, and, and, and I think sort of a liberal and indulgent consumer culture teaches us how to be uh, flaky and, um, and not commit, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been just working on commitment and what that looks like and, and how it interplays with my being responsible for myself and how I show up and in service of my partner. Mm. And from a masculine state of perspective, it's our uh, prerogative to choose. Mm. It is the masculine energy to make a choice. And that's all. Mm. And once you choose, then it will be. Mm. Uh, And I do believe that you know, everybody's worthy of love and you can love anybody, you know, and I, and I prove that because I loved a lot of people and I loved all of them equally, but I, I never chose. Mm. So I was uh, just fluttering about and I never had, I never could build anything and I couldn't ground in because I didn't make that choice. And I do believe that energetically the feminine is looking to be chosen. Mm. And so... I don't think you need to wait for someone to come and inspire you to choose and be the right person and look to them to do all the things that will perform in the right ways so that you now can make that choice. Because then you're not making the choice. They are. Mm. They're forcing you or they're inspiring you versus you make that choice and then stick to it in and, and in so doing, you begin to actually build true relationship through commitment. And it's not, a per, it's not perfection. You know, just suddenly like now 
everything's amazing. No, now you do the work mm -hmm. of building a life for, for the rest of your life. Mm. And, uh, and it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, hard. it's hard. Yeah. yeah. You know, we had this fantasy of happily ever after, but it's not, it's, you know, you're in partnership with somebody to, to go through the hard things in life and to constantly go through that process of death and rebirth yeah. and, and, and have a sense of place and home and belonging and then hopefully create life. And, and the other thing, if I may just give my last piece of advice, the one thing that really saved me was realizing that I'm not... I may be the, the, the driver, I may be in charge, but I'm in service. I'm in service to, I'm in service of, is it of or to? Mm -hmm. I'm in service to? <laughs> What's the right word? I'm in service of Jordan. Yes. I'm serving Jordan because she is Oracle. Woman is intuition deep connection to earth they you know they are that infinite potential that chaos through which life comes from mm. right so I, that, that made like suddenly clicked for me like i was always serving myself and my idea of the world and my, you know, what's going to look like and how I'm going to build it. And now I've shifted to serve woman, the creator of life, i.e. our children mm. and creating the conditions so that she feels safe and her nervous system can relax so that she can start to build the container and the space for life to happen mm. so that when we have children, our children come through a safe, uh, you know, comforting, you know, mother who isn't, uh, you know, just like riddled with negative emotions and fears and anxieties, which will inevitably transfer to our kids. Mm. So really in service of our children, I, the, the best thing I can do is serve Jordan and what she needs and create space for her to feel safe and comfortable so that she can open and create that life in, in the most um, optimal conditions. Mm. And that's what I'm committed to. I'm ultimately, I'm committed to, yes, Jordan, but committed to my children and future generations by doing the right thing now to create the, the, the conditions so that when life happens, when it comes through, it's... Um, I, I'm, I'm in service to th their well-being, just mm. like on the land. I'm not growing plants. I'm creating soil. Mm. I'm creating the conditions for life to come through. Mm. Beautifully said, man. <laughs> I think um, I want to be mindful of your time, but this notion of creating the conditions for life to come through is one that resonates deeply. I know that you do that in a variety of ways um, with the farm with the community you're building through the farm, with Ducantra Ventures, with EarthSpeed. Um, can you just let us know, because uh, I'm sure many people will be curious, where can people dive more deeply into mm -hmm. the various ways in which you are bringing life? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, and we don't have to get too deep into it. Um, uh, anybody who's still here listening, thanks for hanging in there. Um, but this could be a whole another tangent. But you know, I'd be happy if you threw some links in so people can. We'll see. definitely do that. Yeah. So um, I have an investment firm, and we um, we don't just seek ROI, return on investment. We also seek YBM, which are yields beyond money. Hmm. So we're seeking we're seeking businesses that are doing things that benefit uh, society, uh, the world beyond just making profit they're actually doing something for the betterment of humanity uh, human flourishing and community and um, financial instruments of equity and access and better for you consumer goods better for the planet um, and do contra um, is sort of a, a business investment firm but then there's also the lifestyle aspect to it like how do we live more in harmony with nature how do we live heart-centered and a heart forward uh, and that's what EarthSpeed is EarthSpeed really is my communications offering my channel that I get to share my lifestyle here on the land stumbling through learning how to do all these things on in farming and the people I talk to the thought leaders the permaculturists the homesteaders my mentors around the corner the hillbillies and also entrepreneurs who are building businesses that reflect those values and reflect that lifestyle as it is scaled out into the world. So it's, um, it's Earthspeed is kind of a homesteading meets uh, investment channel. Hmm. The two are directly correlated, actually. Yeah, they are, yeah. <laughs> Just not, not frequently enough uh, brought together. And I think that that's what we need. I mean, this is a whole other conversation and one we should have another time, but I think the depth at which we need to have those kinds of conversations around how our investing, where we're investing, our energy, our resources, our finances, how those actually go towards something more than a bottom line for, you know, yeah. it's, it's imperative. Well, you, you know, I mean, look, your time is a currency, mm -hmm. right? Your attention is a currency. Mm-hmm. Your currency is a currency, your, your money. Where are you putting it? Yeah. What are you investing in? What are you investing in your time, your energy, your, your, your thoughts, your um, presence, your money? Where are you investing it? So it's, for me, it's here on the land, it's in community, it's, it's family, it's growing food so that I can eat the best, most nutritious food and serve myself and my family and my neighbors so I can give of myself to the world. I can help heal climate realities through this little piece of land. And then also investing my money in businesses that are doing that out in the world. Hmm. Uh, so it, it is cohesive, although it's, I, I've never seen it before. You know, where you, where you meet um, permaculturists and entrepreneurs and investors. Uh, that's, you know, I, I don't know. The, the, t the tagline is a lifestyle in the cadence of nature. Hmm. So in the rhythm of the earth. That's my kind of rhythm. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. Thank you. Finally, I'm glad we finally got to do this. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's been a little while in the making, but uh, it's an honor not only to have the conversation, but to do it in the place of your co-creation. So thank you for, for inviting me.
Yeah, and you can also find me on pontifornication.com. <laughs> we'll put all the links in the show notes below. Thank you, Adrian. Peace. Peace. And there it is. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Adrian. I know that I did. I got so much value from it. If you did enjoy it, please go ahead and send it off to a few friends, especially men in your life that you love or, or, or friends of yours that you think would benefit from this perspective. Um, I'd also love it. Uh, it means a lot to me if, you, if you'd go ahead and leave a five-star review over on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. It's the way that we grow the show, and also it helps me get uh, great guests like Adrian. And finally, if you want to join me in this no alcohol challenge, head over to Feel Free. Uh, you can use the code PEAKMIND40 and you get 40% off your order. It's honestly one of the greatest sort of tools I've found to have a good time without the deleterious effects, without the, the hangover. So with that, thank you guys for listening. Uh, it means the world to me. I never take your time for granted. And until next time, go out there and live your best life.